Hello, and welcome to Raising Eco-Minimalists, a podcast that acts as a community for those who are raising kids who care about their mind, body, and the earth. I'm Laura, your host, mom to a five-year-old and self-described anxious eco-minimalists. Thanks for joining. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of Raising Eco-Minimalists. I can't believe it, but it's been almost exactly a month at the time of this episode launch since the overall podcast launch. So whether you are a seasoned listener already and have gone through all the episodes, or if you're joining us today as your first one, I just wanted to say welcome and seriously thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your feedback so far, your encouragement, the sharing. It's really been quite a great month uh, with the since the podcast launch, and I'm so appreciative of each and every one of you. So again, thank you so much. I also need to give another thanks to our very first podcast member, Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for not only becoming a member, but for being the first member. And if you're interested in becoming a podcast member, you get all sorts of benefits such as getting the episodes a day early, you get access to uh, content that I've written, ebooks, you get discounts on um, a workshop that I've offered, and a lot more stuff. There'll be member-only Q&A, there'll be, and probably the coolest benefit is that you get an extra episode. So right now the general release is every other week. But uh, members get an extra bonus episode on those off weeks. So if you're really enjoying the content and you want to help support the podcast, help keep the content free and available for everyone that wants to hear it, becoming a member is a great way to do so. You can find more information in the show notes or you can always reach out to me. I'm happy to send a link over with more information or answer any questions you may have. Finally, one more announcement before we dive in here. So far, there's been no reviews on Apple, and I would love to change that. So if you're enjoying the podcast, you've learned something, uh, or just want to help make the podcast more accessible for those who are looking for the content, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts is a fantastic way to do it. I will give the first couple people that do a shout out on the next episode, uh, and I'd just be very grateful. So Head on over to Apple Podcasts if you haven't already and uh, leave the podcast a review. Okay, so today's episode is all about anxiety tips and resources for kids and specifically how uh, my family handles it in our home. Little backstory, this episode came about from a question on an Ask Me Anything that I hosted on my blog Instagram account, which is at Reduce, Reuse, Renew blog. And the question was along the lines of if I was ever afraid that my son was going to have anxiety and how we would handle it. If you're not familiar with my at Reduce, Reuse, Renew blog account on Instagram, I am pretty open about my dealings with anxiety, uh, some depression, my therapy, medication, everything that goes along with it. Uh, I think that the mental health stigma, frankly, is BS. And I think that the only way we're going to or move past it is by talking about this stuff. There are so many people that struggle with anxiety and depression and silence because that's 
one thing that our thoughts like to tell us, but also because we don't talk about it as a society. And it's so common that I think it's silly that we stay silent. So that's why this person in particular asked about my son. One thing I wanted to quickly say out is um, probably obvious, but I'm not a mental, mental health professional. Um, I This is not medical advice. If you are or someone you know is ever in a crisis and you need to access help immediately, of course, 911 for those in the U.S., Otherwise, the Crisis Text Line is a fantastic free resource that's open 24-7. You can text HOME to 741-741, and you'll be matched up with a licensed professional. I interviewed somebody who used, or who works at the Crisis Text Line, and I'll leave the link to that blog post in the show notes. But a crisis to you is a crisis to them, so it doesn't even have to be... You know, if if someone is feeling suicidal, that's not the only thing that they address. So it's a fantastic resource. Again, it's called the Crisis Text Line. You can access them by texting HOME to 741741. So back to this question. I thought about it for a while. It's a fantastic question, but I wasn't sure exactly how to respond at that time. So I reached out to the person and, you know, thanked them for their question, acknowledged that I got it, and said that I was going to marinate on it for a while, I would eventually uh, address it. But as I thought about it more and more, it really just started coming out that perhaps this would be a good podcast episode topic because I'm, I'm guessing that there are other parents or guardians out there who are wondering uh, this same thing. So hence the, the episode. One of the reasons I was having trouble determining how to answer is that while I am open about my anxiety and everything that comes along with it in my life, uh, my son is not at the age where he can give that consent and understand what it means. So I am usually pretty private about him. So in that sense, I don't feel like it's my story to tell. However, I decided that keeping things broad uh, is a way that I can still share how we handle things at home while also being respectful of him. So if I'm being kind of vague about specific things that he deals with, that's why. And I just thank you in advance for understanding my desire to keep his specifics private. So that all being said, the answer to the question, are you ever afraid your son is going to have anxiety? The answer is a very loud yes. Uh, I thought about that even before I had kids. That was a determination when I was younger about if I even wanted to have kids. I didn't want to pass on what at the time I deemed a horrible, horrible thing. Um, Therapy has helped me revisit my relationship with anxiety. But yeah, it definitely made me nervous. And so when my son did start exhibiting anxiety symptoms, it was kind of a heart blow. A lot of these symptoms came up, especially within the last year during the pandemic, which I think is obviously to be expected, but didn't mean that it made it any easier. I will say that as somebody who deals with anxiety, parenting an anxious child, I thought would just come naturally. Oh, great. I'll just use all the tips and tricks and tools that I've 
learned over the, you know, couple decades that I have really been dealing with this and learning about it. And I'll just apply them to him and it'll be fine. (laughs) But I quickly found out that parenting a child with anxiety symptoms is actually really hard, mostly because it's hard to see our kids suffer especially with something that I am so familiar with and I know how hard it can be. So it wasn't so straightforward as I initially thought it was going to be, which I think is probably like most parental things, right? (laughs) We have a number of tips. I think I've got 14 and I've got some resources I'll also share. But again, I just want to state that this is not medical advice. This is not coming from a licensed professional. This is just what we have done and do in our house and some things that have worked for us. So so take it for what it is. Leave the things that don't resonate. But all in all, I hope that if you're in the same situation that you can learn a thing or two uh, with this episode that can help in your home. All right, so let's get in it. We'll start with the 14 tips, and then I will dive into the specific resources that we have used. Number one, talk about what anxiety is. I like to learn about how our brain and bodies operate. It helps me rationalize and be logical about the sensations and stuff that I'm feeling or what's going on when I'm feeling really anxious. So talk about what anxiety is. You can also talk about how it's not all bad. So often we want to run away from it and push it away because it doesn't feel good, right? Our thoughts can be unpleasant. It's just not a great sensation. But in reality, it's our fight, flight, or freeze system that sometimes goes a little off base. But that system as a whole is not a bad thing. It's there to keep us safe. So in that sense, we don't want to talk to our kids about getting rid of the anxiety because that's not going to be helpful. We can talk about that it's a normal part of the human experience and the human body, the human systems, but that sometimes it goes a little off base, you know, from based on a thousand different reasons or experiences or traumas. Again, just keeping it simple, talking about what it is, what's happening in the body. That can help some kids to kind of understand what's going on. Tip number two normalize anxiety and therapy. Part of the reason we have this stigma is because mental illness has not been something that is considered normal. And thankfully, that's changing. However, in our own homes, we can do a lot as parents and guardians to help just make it a normal thing for our kids. So I have anxiety. My husband has anxiety. We'll often talk about when we're feeling anxious. We When we do family dinners at the table, we will go around and talk about something that was great about the day and then something that was kind of hard. And oftentimes, if I had a day where I was feeling really anxious, I'll say that. And we just talk about it like it's a normal thing, like sadness or anger, right? Because it is. It's just an emotion. And that's not to diminish the experience that you have when dealing with it. But by not talking about it, kids are going to pick up on that and wonder why or also learn not to talk about it. And that's not going to change anything. That's not helping anyone. The same goes for therapy. If you're in therapy, talk to your kids about it. 
obviously not sharing the intimate details of your sessions, but I will just say, oh yeah, I had therapy today. It's just a everyday thing for us in our house. We just talk about it like it's a regular doctor appointment. Again, I really just want to make it a normal thing. Tip number three. Start talking about what thoughts are. So back in when I was growing up, I think the general consensus, and maybe I'm wrong, but was that your thoughts were, your thoughts meant something. And that's not to say that these days in the present time that our thoughts don't mean anything, but I think we're starting to realize that we don't need to take our thoughts at face value. So a thought is just a thought. It doesn't have to be anything more. It doesn't have to be anything less. If you choose to assign something to that thought, then it can be more or less. But a thought is just neutral. It's often when we start attaching different types of emotions or if our body reacts to the thought before we even realize that it's assessing it. So if you get, you know, like a t- have a thought and then immediately get a tight chest and then all of a sudden you're worried about your tight chest and then it's just this big cycle. If we can talk, start talking to our kids that a thought is just a thought, it doesn't have to mean anything unless we want it to, then they can start learning that from an early age. Granted, this might not be something that is appropriate for younger kids because it may be a little bit above their brain processing abilities, but I just wanted to include it because that's been a really big changing point for me in my therapy and something that I absolutely plan to talk about with my son as he continues to grow older. Number four, adopt a mantra or affirmation. We do have some and I'm sure will develop more as he gets older, but bigger one that we do lately is when the negative self-talk comes up, which I think is a normal thing for kids his age. But we talk a lot about how the things that we start to tell ourselves, we start to believe. And so anytime that negative self-talk comes up, I'll kind of remind him of that. And usually he rolls his eyes, but, you know, then I'll ask him, you know, oh, do you really believe what you just told yourself? And he's, no... It's like, okay, well, there we go. You know, so we're kind of starting to get there. Um, Again, just trying to keep it age appropriate. Adopting some type of mantra or affirmation, either a family one or just with your kids, can be really helpful and help grounding them, especially if they're younger. Tip number five, talk about emotions. So this somewhat relates to tip number two, which is normalize anxiety, but I wanted to expand it to all emotions. So we, from an early age, started naming emotions with my son. We read books about emotions. We watched a lot of Daniel Tiger, which is a lot about emotions. And I really wanted him to be able to name know, experience all the different types of emotions because we're human beings and that's part of the deal of being a human. We go through all the emotions. And if there's one thing that I've learned through my therapy is that pushing away certain emotions because they're uncomfortable does not help. It only makes it worse. And so I did not want that to be the case for my son. And so, yeah, we talk about our emotions all the time. My husband and I will share when we're feeling certain emotions to help normalize it, we cry in front of him. So it, it's, again, just normalizing those things, talking about them, 
and just giving them a name because sometimes it's just as much as acknowledging what you're feeling with a name to help diffuse it a little bit. And I'll have some resources on that uh, later on in the episode. Number six, uh, do activities together. So what I mean by activities is anxiety reducing or activities that help manage anxiety together. So this could be meditating together, uh, getting out in nature, coloring, doing puzzles. These are all really great activities to help keep us grounded and be proactive or if we're already feeling anxious, help us feel a little bit better. But doing them together, again, normalizes it, but it also helps open the conversation for why we do these things. Maybe you find that it's a great time to talk about what's wrong. Uh, Whatever it is, doing it with somebody else can help you feel like you're not alone. It can help you feel like you're supported and it can just overall make you feel better. And it's okay if you have never done these types of activities before. It can be something that you all are learning together. Tip number seven, normalize rest, quiet time, and relaxation. I think that we tend to, as parents or guardians, not always recognize when our kids are overstimulated. And I can see it now as my son is five and a half, that, you know, certain things just make him really ramped up, really excited and hyper, and then it's usually <laughs> followed by a crash. Uh, sometimes we overschedule our kids, not intentionally, but there's so many different things that they can be doing. There's so many different things that their friends are maybe doing. And so it can be easy to all of a sudden look at your calendar and see that you have a completely full week. Top that along with school or other work commitments and stuff, and it can start being a really hectic, stressful week. So my tip is to normalize rest, quiet time, and relaxation. Even though my son is five and a half, he's not, he doesn't usually nap anymore, but we still have quiet time and he often fights us on it, but I'll say the quiet time is also for me, kid. Like I still need some quiet time. I need some time to recharge. And so again, normalizing seems to be a common theme here, but I'm just trying to normalize that it's okay to rest and relax and have your own quiet time. And it's actually really good for us. I think that it's something that's missing from our society these days as we're constantly be told that we need to be productive. And I don't want that to be the message that my son always always receives, that he can come home and it's okay to be uh, quiet and relax and resting. You know, it's also where minimalism gets pulled in here because minimalism doesn't always mean physical stuff. It can also mean commitments and it can also mean obligations or extracurriculars that if these things are causing us stress, then it's not a good fit and we need to reevaluate. Something that we did when my son was younger is, this was obviously pre-COVID, was we would enroll him in one sport at a time. And so he was only, he only, we only had one time during the week that we had to be somewhere for him to participate in something. There was one time when his swim lessons overlapped with soccer or something like that for a few weeks. And I felt the stress personally. That was, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot when you're thinking about it. Oh, two times a week, that's not bad. But when you're actually in the week and working and trying to get dinner and all this stuff, it becomes a lot. Uh, And that's only with one kid. So I imagine that if somebody has more than one kid who's all of them are in sports, like that can add up really quickly. And if we're stressed, I think it's easier for our kids to get stressed too. So again, normalize, normalize, normalize. 
reevaluate if you're feeling stressed and hectic and just know that it's okay to rest and relax and have quiet time. One more tip that I'll say about that is if you are having a hard time prioritizing that time, whether it's for you, whether it's as a family, put it on the calendar. Literally just block off Saturday afternoon, say, and you can just put busy if you share your calendar with other people that aren't your family or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And then if a commitment comes up against it, you can honestly say, hey, we've got something going on that afternoon, but let's pick out a different time. If there's a time when something comes up that is actually really important, that's okay. Then you can just reschedule your quiet family meet time, whatever it may be. But make sure that you do actually reschedule it and for the most part, really try to make that commitment and treat it like an actual event. All right. That also was led into number eight, which was don't overschedule. So we already talked about that. I won't go into that again. Next one, learn about the healing process of nature together. There are countless, countless studies about the benefits of nature and mental health. It helps with uh, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, depressed, and again, not medical advice, not a cure-all, but there's a lot of research around how good it is for us as human beings. Now, I'll go off on one side tangent of risking of getting way off track here, but one thing that I has helped me with my anxiety is when we get that jolt of energy from our fight, flight, or freeze system, that energy has to go somewhere. And so back in the day, saber-toothed tiger land, we usually were running or climbing or doing something active to get away from the threat if we're fleeing, which I think a lot of times happen. But when we get that jolt, when our body experiences something that it thinks is a threat, it doesn't know that the threat is not a saber-toothed tiger. It just says, whoa, threat, like alert, jolt of energy. But because we're not actively running away from a saber-toothed tiger, that energy just sits. And that for me is super uncomfortable. I do not like that feeling of that energy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably think I'm way off base, but anxiety has a very specific type of energy and it just doesn't feel good. And so bringing the conversation back to that, the tip, healing process of nature, getting out into nature when we are feeling that jolt and that icky, anxious energy helps us process it, helps it go somewhere because it has to do something. And if it's not moving through us, it's sitting there and festering. And at least that's how I think about it. So the same is true for our kids. Their fight, flight, or freeze response is the same as ours because we're all humans. So get out in nature And even if you're not feeling anxious, being proactive and help managing that anxiety, getting out for walks every day or playing out at a park or exploring, whatever it may be, nature is such a great place for us to process our our anxious energy and our, our mental health. If you're interested in learning about more about why nature is super important for kids and how to help build that connection between kids and nature, check out episode five of the podcast with Jess Purcell, where we talk about that for the entire episode. It's a really good one. All right, next tip, number 10, give them a calm space for themselves. I know that some of you may be thinking, well, I don't have any extra space and that's okay. Whether it's an actual space that they can go to kind of calm down, or we just try to keep our surroundings 
as calm as possible. Just somewhere that can help reduce the stimulation when they're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or stressed. There's a lot of research about the negative effects of clutter on mental health. And we think a lot about that for adults when we talk about decluttering and getting rid of stuff and just making our space more relaxing. But I think we often forget that that is also true for our kids. And so making sure that their room is not shoved with full of toys. I'm not saying you have to go out and create a whole new section of your house or their room uh, for a calm space, but just try to think about providing a place that they can go and, and letting them know that that is a safe space for them. Number 11. This one is hard, at least for me as a parent. Don't fix. Instead, support. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode how hard it was for me to parent somebody with anxiety because I, I know how hard it can be. And I don't like seeing him suffer, of course. And so I first few times that we were dealing with some pretty intense episodes where I would do some of the activities together with him. Like we would do some deep belly breathing or do a, um, a grounding exercise. And we would do them and then I'd, you know, I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, how are you feeling now? And he'd say, well, a little bit better. And I just wanted to be like, why are you not better? We did these things, which is exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to say. And if somebody told me that as an anxious person, I'd be like, okay, you can leave now because that's not helpful. So as parents, I think our natural desire is to fix because we want our kids to feel better. But instead, it's really important that we just take a step back, help them acknowledge what they're feeling and ask them what they need. And if they don't know, then can offer a few suggestions uh, that I will list down the line here. So that's a big one. Number 12, start identifying triggers and adapt. Some of these triggers could be similar to us as adults. So for me, uh, triggers are you know, lack of sleep, too much screen time, too much sugar. There's some others too, but these can also affect our kids. So it's helpful if you can start jotting down things that you notice if they start feeling super anxious, you know, what did they have to eat that day? Or did they not sleep well the night before? You know, have they not gotten outside? Have they, do they have a buildup of energy and haven't been able to express it by playing or something? Uh, they overstimulated. You know, I know like the holidays are really big stimulation for my son. And by the end of the day or even the next day, it's just like, whoa. Start identifying them, jot them down, and then you can adapt from there. Try to either avoid certain things or you can at least help them through it if something is unavoidable. Number 13, if applicable, talk with family and friends. So if your family is watching your kid for a while or maybe you've got uh, having friends over and you're concerned that their kid is feeling really anxious about it or something talk with family and friends ahead of time share with them some of the resources that you use and kind of bring them in as a team to help your child manage through these emotions and this ties into the last one number 14 which is find community so again friends family uh, if your kid is in school, you can talk to a social worker or their teacher to see if you can find a, a port group in your area. So building a community is a great way to help you feel like you're not alone, help you bounce ideas off each other, share resources and tools, and just have a great, well-rounded group of people that are helping through this because you don't have to do it alone. 
Okay, so I'm going to quickly, quickly run through um, some of the specific tools that we use in our house, and I will also list them in the show notes with links so you can easily find them. Um, but let's start with books. I love books because they not only help my son, but they help me as a parent <laughs> and trying to figure out what to do by reading them together. I know the tools. He knows the tools so we can practice them together. Again, that was one of the tips. Uh, do these activities together. So books. Uh, the What If Monster, A Little Spot of Anxiety, Anxious Ninja, and Calm Ninja. The next group of resources is meditations. I was not sure about doing meditations with my son. It's something that I do myself, but I wasn't sure I was going to go with him. But Insight Timer, which is free, has some really great kid meditations. And we have found three specific ones that we love and listen to often. But there are so many that you can choose from and a ton of different types. And that's one of the things I love about Insight Timer is because... You can try so many different types of meditations. You can try different teachers. It's all for free, so you can really find one that you like. A lot of the teachers do have an option to donate, so if there is one that you find and you listen to it a lot, you know, definitely consider supporting them. So the first one is called Sleep Friend Meditation for Children. The next one is Anxiety Relief for Kids. And a third one is a kid-shaped pool bedtime practice. One thing I'll say about doing a meditation with kids is it's it's not like doing it as an adult where you kind of hang out, you know, it's really quiet and you're still, yes, you have thoughts, but that's normal and you just let them pass by. You know, it's not that you can't think. But uh, so the first few times with my son, it was, he's up, he's down, he's laying down, he's wiggly. He's looking for a stuffy. He's doing this. He's doing that. And I would get really frustrated because I'm like, you're supposed to be quiet. You're supposed to be listening and sitting. But that was not the way that he was processing it. And he would talk about it during the day, like stuff he heard and some of the things or he'd say like, yeah, I, I tried this after you left last night and it helped me fall asleep. So I knew he was listening, but it was... Uh, kind of a learning experience for us both because he was certainly interpreting and intaking the information in a different way than I do when I meditate. So I will just give you a heads up on that. <laughs> Maybe the case for you as well and your kids. All right, tools. So one of his habits with anxiety is nail chewing. So we got this um, like little dino head that is safe to chew on and then he has those taggy blankets and he likes to chew on those. So instead of making him stop or getting mad at him because he was nail chewing, we're, we're trying to redirect so to a way that it was um, safe for him and his body. Uh, the uh, second thing we've tried is a weighted blanket. I love the one for him from Luna Blankets. They're eco-friendly and it's also a BIPOC-owned company. So they've got lots of cute kid prints. I will share a link, find it, and I'll also share the one that we have. He loves it. He sleeps with it every night. And they're just really great to, I think, I have one too for feeling grounded. Um, journal, coloring, or puzzle. These are all activities that I like to call... Um, meditation without actually meditating. So they are activities that require your brain to focus pretty intensely on what you're doing. So when you're coloring, it's kind of hard to think about a lot of other things or when you're doing a puzzle, same thing. 
You know, you can also start normalizing journaling, encourage them to draw or write out things that are bothering them or that they're feeling anxious about. And sometimes it just helps just to get it out of your head and onto a paper. The next one is what I like to call a 54321 grounding exercise. I do it for myself all the time, but it's really fantastic for kids too. And that is you pick five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can feel, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. You can do it anywhere you are. You can do it as many times as you need, but what happens is it just brings your mind back to the present. So anxiety lives in the past or the future. It can't live in the present. So doing this activity helps you focus on what's around you instead of where your mind was before. And the last, of course, is deep breathing. Um, There's some insight timer meditations that help with this, but a lot of uh, resources will have kids pretend like they're blowing up a balloon in their belly and then slowly deflating it, um, just taking really deep breaths and stuff. There's also some yoga moves, I believe, that are, I think it's called volcano breaths. My son does those where you just kind of put your arms up and, and over like you're a volcano. And so that has helped him too. But we do a lot of deep breathing. I'll just say, okay, before we move forward, we need to take a deep breath. All right, let's take another one. Let's do it together. Again, doing it together. So yeah, we do that a lot in our house and and I think it really helps. And again, it's just something that I want to normalize for, for him. So that is a wrap on the tips. I'll go through, quickly recap all of them. I know there's a lot. Number one, talk about what anxiety is, that it's not bad. Two, normalize anxiety and therapy. Three, start talking about thoughts and what they are or aren't. Four, adopt a mantra or affirmation. Five, talk about emotions. Six, do activities together. Seven, normalize rest, quiet time, and relaxation. Eight, don't overschedule. Nine, learn about the healing process of nature together. 10, give them a calm space to process. 11, don't fix, but support. 12, look for triggers and adapt. Number 13, if applicable, talk with family and friends. Number 14, find community. I really hope this helps if you've got kids that deal with anxiety or are easily stressed or overwhelmed. If you've got any tips that you use on a regular basis that help you, I'd love to hear about it. You can shoot me an email or you can contact me on social media. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye. Thank you so much again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing. These three things are the best way to ensure that the podcast reaches other people who are trying to raise eco-minimalists. Additionally, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, as well as the link to join the Facebook community group, all in the show notes. Finally, don't forget that you can become a member of the podcast and receive benefits such as extra bonus episodes, episodes a day early, learn about guests ahead of time, and lots more. The link to becoming a member or to find out more info is also in the show notes. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget that in order for sustainable living to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for you. Until next time, bye.